Welcome to episode 37 of the Hoop Threads podcast here with uh, Michael Hunter of the ACC Basketball Report. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic, man. So uh, big fan of the podcast. I love, you know, love following you on Twitter. Uh, Random sarcastic shots that, you know, different players and coaches. Always fun. Uh, catching up with you on there. So, you know, let, let's start at the beginning, you know, talk about your, your journey, your background, and, you know, how you got to, to starting this podcast. Yeah, uh, starting the podcast only happened a few years ago, but, um, you know, born in born in 1983 in northern Maine. Um, it's, it's a little bit different in the northeast than it is down in the southeast where I'm currently at. You know, college basketball is king up in the northeast because a lot of a lot of high schools up there don't have the money for a football program. So, you know, we all play basketball and soccer and, you know, soccer is not really huge in the U.S., but basketball is. So we kind of always follow that all the way through. The Northeast has, you know, obviously some some legendary basketball programs. And, you know, I, I'm watching, you know, Larry Johnson, and UNLV when I'm, you know, eight, nine years old. Um, that was kind of when I first started getting into it. And then I really, really fell in love with Georgia Tech when Stefan Marbury um, committed to G tech. And he quickly, I think the first play, this is a story I always tell is, uh, first game of Marbury's career. He plays, they play Manhattan. Um, G tech wins the tip. It goes to Drew Barry. And I, I, again, I was 10, 12 years old at the time. So this may be a little bit not accurate, but, um, you know, Marbury streaks down left hand, left hand sideline and Barry hits him for a backdoor cut for an alley-oop from like, you know, quarter court. And uh, I was like, wow, okay. And from that point on, I was a Marbury guy and I developed into a, a Michael Maddox guy, a Drew Barry guy, Eddie Alisma guy. And then when, when BJ Elder <clears throat> came to Georgia Tech, that, that kind of made me a super fan. He's my favorite, my, my favorite Georgia Tech player of all time. You know, fast forward, whatever, 12 years later, and, you know, friends of mine, we always had very heated discussions. I remember one of the most heated discussions we ever had was Jason Kidd versus uh, Steve Nash, as far as who was the best point guard in the NBA. I mean, that, <laughs> that almost came to blows one night on, a, on an evening where maybe too many uh, alcoholic beverages were consumed. Which but, side of that were you on, just out of curiosity? I think at the time I was on the Kidd's side. That was when Kidd was really, yeah. you know, in his jersey days and he, he was really blowing it up. Um, it was before Nash won all his MVPs. So, um, I, honestly, I can't remember. It's so close now. Like, I look back on it now, and I'm like, Jesus, it's, you know, really splitting hairs here. It really is, yeah. But, um, you know, something me and my friends always talked about was, would you know, love to get into broadcast journalism. And, and how easy would it be to just talk sports all day long? I mean, we do it anyway when we're with each other's company. You know, so, you know, wouldn't it be great to get paid for it? And that was always kind of a dream. And I was, you know, I brought that up to a girl that I was dating probably three years ago, four years ago. And for Christmas, she bought me, you know, this mic that I'm talking on now. And she's like, you know, stop talking about it and get it done already. <laughs> so, you know, that was when I started ACCBR. And um, the show has lasted longer than the relationship, which I think is actually a good thing. And, uh, you know, here we are three and a half years later. So um, that's, that's kind of the, the short and dirty version of how ACC Basketball Report came around. Got you. Got you. So have you, have you, you know, connected with any of the players in the conference or the coaches or, you know, whether that's via DMs or, you know, in person? Uh, I have, you know, I've had conversations with, you know, I try to stay away from the players as much as I can. Um, I, I find that it's not that they're not interesting, but they're also kind of, 
they're unable to say what they're feeling sometimes. Now you get some guys that, that don't care. Hunter Dickinson's a great example over at Michigan right now, who's just tweeting any and everything right now. Um, Amir Sims. Guys, so we're yeah, familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you know, uh, Amir Sims at Clemson really doesn't give a damn what he says either, which is always fun. But I, I've always been more of a uh, – I, I try to connect with the coaches a little bit. And I've actually had, you know, some great conversations with parents of players. Um, Nasir Little's father, T. Little, Harold Little, nice. has become a great friend of mine over the past couple of years. Um, he's been on the podcast at least five times. Um, and we've talked about everything from race to – to the NBA, to the experiences of college recruiting, to all that, you know, me and T have been in close contact over the last couple of years. That's been fun. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some conversations with Chris Caputo at uh, Miami, Florida, um, you know, Charlton Young at Florida State and I have, have traded a few DMs and I've had Dino Gaudio on, on the podcast a couple of times as well. So um, yeah, it's been fun. It, it's been like a dream come true for me. And, you know, it's not really high level. I know you got guys like Jay Billis and stuff on your show, but, um, you know, I haven't quite reached that that height. But, you know, guys like Dino Gaudio, guys like Tom Noy, um, uh, Rutherford at Louisville. Um, we had Jerry Ratcliffe on recently. I mean, those are guys that I respect, you know, a great deal. And, I've, and they've been humble enough to come on my show. You know, Jeff Goodman's been on my show. So it's it's been a good time. It's been a good three years. Cool. Cool. All right, let's get into it. You know, let's talk uh, some ACC history. So, mm -hmm. what's the most rewatchable ACC game that you can remember? As a uh, a G Tech guy, um, well, first of all, I, I'm gonna, very recently uh, Virginia Louisville a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. uh, the DeAndre Hunter shot where Virginia managed to score five points in zero point nine seconds, something like that. Um, that was a great game. Yep. And uh, turning back the clock a little bit further, I'm going to say Jarrett Jack um, against UNC in the ACC tournament hits that uh, that that pull up three from the elbow mm. was was a, is a is a favorite game of my to watch yep. as far as ACC matchups go. Yep. Um, and the fact that it happened in the ACC tournament makes it even better. And then there was a game a couple of years ago. Well, I say a couple of years ago. Jesus, it's been you know 10, 12 years, 15 years now. But um, BJ Elder versus Rashad McCants. I believe that game happened at the McDonald Center, but it, it may have happened in Chapel Hill. Basically, it was Elder versus McCants in a game where they just put on a shooting display. Um, Georgia Tech won the game. McCants, I think, had 35, and I think Elder had 29. Okay. And, I mean, it was just jumper after jumper. It was it was a beautiful thing to watch because both guys could really shoot it. But those three games are, are th as far as ACC matchups go, those are three games that really stick out for me. Got you, got you. Rashad McCants, what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> talk about someone who does not hold back. All right, so let's uh, talk about uh, best tournament game. So my one for this is actually uh, Virginia-Purdue. Okay, uh, yeah. No, so that's a great one. The amount of back and forth, you know, individual performances. Uh, I mean, I've said it on the podcast before, but uh, especially with, with how well publicized, you know, Kyle Guy was about, you know, his anxiety issues and stuff like that, you know, stemming from the results of, you know, last last year. Um, just kind of fighting that back. And I think he hit like four free throws down the stretch um, mm -hmm. in a row, had a had a tough shot from the corner that he hit. Um, it was it was really cool. It was it was it was one of those rare moments in college basketball where you're like, I feel like the good guys won. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I like that. Yeah, for sure. I've never been a big Purdue guy. Um, but I did, I do, there have been some guys, AJ Hammonds was a player that I really liked. 
Um, and I mean, how could you not like Carson Edwards in, in yeah. the show that he would put on night in, night out? That was a great game. I agree. Crazy, crazy. So what's yours? I, you know, I got to go. I got to go 2004. Um, I'm at a party in 2004. <laughs> um, it's a, a friend of mine that visited some college friends and invited me to go along. They were a little bit older than I was, probably three, four years older. And, you know, we're just kind of having a weekend party at this guy's loft during the tournament, during the final four and um, Georgia Tech's playing Oklahoma state in the final four. And, you know, Oklahoma state's got a great team that year. Um, John Lucas, the third is on that team. Um, another Baylor. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Another Baylor transfer, I believe. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, I didn't really expect Georgia Tech to make as big of a run as they did when we went into that tournament. But, uh, you know, I think they're down one or the game was tied. It's, it's a terrible story because I can't remember any of the specifics. But the one thing I do remember is Will Bynum, uh, transfer from Arizona, Chicago legend, um, a great follow on Instagram, by the way. Uh, top of the key, hesitation dribble, kind of pulls back like he's going to go up. Um, you know, Lucas third bites. Bynum goes all the way to hold, double clutches, lays it in at the buzzer. Georgia Tech wins. They're going to the finals against the Emeka uh, Okafor-led uh, UConn team that they had beat in Madison Square Garden in the preseason NIT. I was Jack. I'm obviously the only Georgia Tech fan in Northern Maine that's watching <laughs> this game that intently. And, you know, I'm freaking out because my guys are going to the finals and everybody else at the party's like, dude, there's like a hundred girls here. Um, maybe uh, don't act like such a nerd, but yeah, that was, that was one of my best tournament experiences for sure. Fantastic. All right. Um, who's a coach that, that was on the hot seat that in, in retrospect looks the most ridiculous. You know, it's funny because I'm a part of this and I, you know, you mentioned sometimes I'll take some shots every now and then I'll take a shot at Mark Turgeon all the time because he just doesn't win the big games. Um, but then you step back and, you know, you kind of pull up his coaching record. This guy's won like 21 games every year, like five out of the last six years. Um, it's, it may be a little bit unfair because he's following such a legend like Gary Williams yep. and you know, you never want to follow the guy. You want to follow the guy that follows the guy. Yeah. But but Turgeon has has kind of accepted that role, and he's actually taken the criticism pretty well when he's not taunting Juwan Howard, who wouldn't you know think twice about throwing an overhand right if he ever got close enough. But um, you know, I think Turgeon might get a bad rap. That that said, I don't think he's ever going to win a national title either. So the other one I would say is probably Andy Enfield, who set the bar really high at you know when he was at Florida Gulf Coast with dunk city that performance that they put on in that tournament it, it made it look like he was going to be the next guru of go you know what i mean like he was going to be the paul the next paul westhead and that that never really translated at usc because you know florida golf coast took all those teams by surprise for the most part a bunch of white guys that can just get up and down the floor and, and fly through the air and dunk yeah. and you know at usc those are the guys you're facing every night in the pac-12 i mean everybody's got athletes everybody can play everybody can get up and down the floor so it hasn't really translated to that big school type of situation but i think Ganfield's a good coach i think turgeon's a pretty good coach and you know usc is not exactly a basketball school you know it's a football school so really what you want is a coach that's not going to rock the boat while usc makes all the money now enfield hasn't exactly done that either because usc is part of this fbi thing but at the same time, they're successful enough, and he's not really an embarrassment. So I think he's a pretty good coach in that situation. So I mean, the the local team for me, I live I live in College Park, Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the the best point that I've heard, you know, about Mark Churgeon that that I feel like isn't discussed very often is, you know, people talk about his lack of success or maybe his teams, you know, under under deliver. Um, people have to start talking about the fact that he's developing these guys and getting them to yep. the NBA a lot quicker than expected. I mean, no one thought that Jalen Smith was going to get to the NBA that fast. Right. No one, definitely no one thought that Kevin Herter was going to get to the NBA that fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got um, Bruno uh, getting there. You know, some some of these guys, you know, it's not easy to develop an NBA player and to develop an NBA lottery pick. And he's done that a couple times now. Yeah, I think um, Bruno Fernando is a, is a great example. That was maybe his biggest success because by the time he left, that guy was an absolute beast, man. He, that was incredible the way he transformed into such a great player. He just is tucked around the rim and, you mm -hmm. know, he was basically just a block of muscle when he got there yeah. originally and, you know, adding a post game, adding some defensive presence. I mean, he's been getting burned here and there with the Hawks and, and doing some yeah. stuff. So um, let's talk about my team. Um, you know, North Carolina uh, is a team that, uh, you know, last year was definitely very rough. I mean, we're very spoiled uh, in, in being UNC fans, you know, you expect 25 wins a year, but that's right. Um, what is what is going on with them? Like, what is you know why why haven't they been you know the the upper echelon team that that you think that they would be? And so my answer first is just there, other than their guard play, which may be where you're going with that. But the 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 seniors and the upperclassmen not playing like upperclassmen. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember one. <clears throat> I have one friend that will like our only interactions are sending each other videos of Andrew Playtech doing something stupid, like. <laughs> There was one possession where it was like he fouled the three-point shooter, and then he uh, the next the very next possession threw a lazy slow cross-court pass. Took a while to get back. Mm. When he got back, he fouls the guy, and the guy makes the shot. And I'm just like, oh my god! And to make it even worse, like two possessions later, he fouls another three-point shooter. And I'm like looking at Roy, like why is he in the game? Oh my goodness! I'm assuming this was last season. No, this this was the season. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, I don't yeah. remember the play. This um, was the I, I, yeah, I don't know. Playtech's probably in the game because Puff Johnson's been hurt most of the year. I guess is the only real justification on that. Um, I, you know, I think last year, you know, I I hate to I hate to rag on a kid because I don't know the kid. I don't I don't know Cole Anthony. I don't know Greg. I don't know anything about these guys. But you know, Cole was trying out for the NBA. He he was showcasing himself to go to the NBA. He would have been a straight out of high school kid if that would have been an option. Um, and, and you add to that an injury. I, I just I don't know if if his type of play is conducive or was conducive to success at North Carolina. I think in that instance, Roy's chasing stars instead of chasing a fit, which I think that right now Caleb Love is a, is a good fit for the program. But like you said earlier, at some point you got to be able to hit shots in the backcourt. I think Kerwin Ker Walton kind of kind of fills that void a little bit. And, you know, about the seniors, I pick, I pick Garrison Brooks to be preseason player of the year in the ACC when everybody else is playing, uh, you know, taking Jay Hoff. Everybody laughed at me, and apparently rightfully so, because <laughs> I, I don't know what happened there. Like, the guy that I was watching when, when Cole Anthony was hurt last year and the guy that I was watching when Anthony came back led me to believe this guy was going to be an absolute monster as a senior. And... Then there was some ridiculous talk, and I think it was just Roy playing around that he that Garrison was going to play the three, which was never going to happen. <laughs> um, but 
you know, it, it's not the depth because they played Kessler fairly sparingly to begin the season. So, I mean, it's not like Garrison's minutes were way, way down. He just wasn't effective um, early in the season. And, you know, Playtech's just not an ACC player. That, I mean, that's that's what that really boils down to. And then, you know, I don't know if, if we're including Leaky Black in this conversation, but, you know, there's a five-star kid that has just never developed. It, it, you know, I saw a well-rounded kid that, that's going to develop into – a guy that's going to give you a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? As a senior, I was expecting, you know, 11, five and five, 11, five and four, you know, 12, five and four, something like that as he became an upperclassman, but he's just never developed that outside shot. And, you know, what's even worse is he was incredibly effective or I'm sorry, efficient his freshman year, like his numbers over 40 projected out very well. And usually what you do is you take, you know, take the 40 minute projections and you cut it down by a certain percentage by how many, how many minutes you think they're going to get the following year you throw in a little, a little lag because of the, the added, you know, fatigue and, and opportunity, but he projected out really well. And it's just, he's just never, he's never turned the corner and kind of become that player. I think for, you know, for Brooks, I mean, I, I liked him last year. I mean, shoot, he's leading the the, the team in minutes right now, which blows mm-hmm. my, uh, you know, he's only averaging 10, uh, yeah, 10 and seven. Um, and That's I'm- crazy. I'm going back to look at yeah, and, and that's down from he was averaging 17, uh, 17 and almost nine uh, last year, seventeen and nine. I mean, going from you know that that type of a drop off doesn't typically happen. I don't think he's been in shape the whole year. Um, okay, I think I remember at the beginning of the year, um, he was one of the players that said, "Look, I don't, I don't think we should be playing." Okay, uh, and I wonder if. He thought that they weren't going to slash. He thought that he might sit out. Um, and then he just has been playing catch up ever since. Honestly. Yeah. Little um, uh, little Xbox and pizza. <laughs> I think there's more of the Bowberry biscuits. That's oh, hey, that'll happen too. Yeah, that'll get the best of you for sure. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I think that the guard play, you know, RJ Davis had a lot of struggles defensively and you know, taking care of the ball uh early on in the year, had a great uh, tournament game. I think he had 19. Mm-hmm. Um, a game or two ago. So, uh, you know, they're, they're rounding the form. I think that, you know, they their outcomes are so varied to me. You know, they, yes. they, I, you could tell me that they went on the, in the first round and you could tell me they made it to the sweet 16 or lead eight. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I've been touting that I, I was on sports 2.0 earlier this week and I basically during that show talked myself into them beating Baylor in the second round. <laughs> and I, I, I tweeted out some stuff today. I, you know, I looked some stuff up. I, I try, you know, I basically me trying to talk myself into it further. And then as I'm sitting there at work today, I'm like, you know, what? Micah Potter could get hot and Wisconsin could beat them by 15. And that, that wouldn't be shocking either. Um, all you got to do is look at the discrepancy between, you know, the first half against Florida State and the and the the end of the game against Florida State, that's a 20-point turnaround. Florida State was beating them by 12 at one point, and, you know, uh, UNC ends up winning the game by eight. You know, they, it shows me that they have the talent to just turn it on, yeah. but at the same time, they haven't shown the ability to play a complete game in, in quite some time. I'm pretty confident about at least about that game just because, you know, Mike, Mike Potter's, you know, all of 6'8 or 6'9, mm-hmm. they have a ton of height. The, the thing that concerns me is I think that Wisconsin could basically just pack it in and just be like, you know, you have to prove that you can hit outside shots. And that, yeah, Brad that, Davison against Caleb Love could be a problem because Brad Davison's a shifty little jerk. <laughs> it's going to play dirty and, and try to get in that kid's head. 
and it's either gonna it's either gonna piss him off and make him you know play well you know light a fire in him yeah. or he's just gonna go right into the trash I, I I honestly have it's 50 50 for me which one happens so yeah he reminds me of that scrappy point guard from Ohio State a couple of years ago what's his aircraft yeah yeah except aircraft could, could shoot a little bit better yeah for sure all right so uh biggest ACC what if of the, the last 10 or so years so I, I'll, I'll take this first I mean yeah. to me it was Kendall Marshall I think mm-hmm. it was 2011 that they had a stacked front court you know you had Henson you had Zeller um and I'm pretty sure that was the team that had Barnes McDonald yep. um, uh what's his name uh the the wing defender. I can't remember his name. Kendall Marshall, like Kendall Marshall was just the engine that made the team go. And I think that that was the year that he stepped in. Um, it wasn't Jackie Manuel, was it? Uh, no, no. Jackie Manuel was 05. Uh, oh shit. Okay. Yep. Here we yeah. go. No, uh, it was, it was Leslie, Leslie McDonald was on the wings. Dexter Strickland. That's who I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, had, they had, uh, Reggie Bullock and PJ Harrison. I mean, they, they were, they were, oh, yeah. Yeah. um, and Kendall Marshall just made the team go. And I think it was, I'll never forget the guy's name. Ekin, Ekiniche, Ekiniche, something like that. But he mm-hmm. played for Creighton. Uh, chopped down on his wrist. And I think in the same game, he chopped down on Henson's wrist too. Uh, Henson ended up playing, and then they had to play uh, Stillman White. Uh, in, That's in the, a name. Yeah. Against, uh, against Kansas. So I think if that doesn't happen, I think they they run the table. Um, but but who do you got for that? So <laughs> mine is, mine is an, an off-the-court situation. <laughs> and uh, my biggest what-if for maybe – since Jeff Capel was fired from Oklahoma is what if the NCAA decided they wanted to look into Duke's recruiting practices? I mean, you got kids, you got kids. I mean, we've spoke about this ad nauseum on ACCBR, but you got kids all around the country. You know, the kid that went to Louisville, I can't even remember his name anymore. Um, I just know he had blonde highlights in his, in his Afro. Um, but Bowen, Brian Bowen. Yeah. Brian Bowen, Todd Bowen or how, yeah. And I mean, this kid was what 20th in the nation. He's yep. getting six figure offers to go to Louisville. Um, Javon Quinterly is getting offers to go to Arizona. And meanwhile, Duke is reeling in the top three recruits in the entire nation. And you don't think there's no Samsonite bags changing hands in that whole exchange. Like what are we doing here? I mean, you think that these guys are going to Duke because Duke just puts lottery picks in the NBA. no, Zion Williamson had a house in Durham for his whole family. Like, come on. And, and the NCAA couldn't care less. And, you know, Duke seems to be working with, with a net that nobody else in the NCAA seems to be, or in division one seems to be working with and they're exploiting it and they're getting away with it. And nobody really seems to care because they're a nationwide fan base and they're going to get the ratings. They're going to make the money. And, and that's what it is. But if, if that was any other school pulling in that type of recruits, then, I mean, if it was USC, I mean, if it was Oregon pulling in those recruits, yeah. they'd be under investigation so fast that their heads would spin. And I just think that it's so obvious what's going on at some of these schools, Duke in particular, that for the NCAA to just, <laughs> I think the best part is when Duke releases a statement that said, we did an internal investigation and we didn't, <laughs> we didn't find anything. So we're good. And the NCAA is like, all right, all right, Mike, we'll see you at USA camp. And that's the end of it. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest what if is what if the NCAA had the balls to investigate Duke's recruiting practices? Did you uh, did you know about the Lance Thomas story? 
Uh, jewelry, right? Is that what that whole, that yeah, whole thing was? Yeah. He put something down like 10,000 or 20,000 um, down and on, on jewelry. And then he was supposed to pay another 500 or something. Ended up going to the league and then uh, never paid it. So the jeweler went public. And Coach K said, uh, we're, a, we're a private institution, so we're not going to comment on that matter publicly. And then no one cooperated with the investigation. And then and the my investigation, back hurts. And then the, and then the investigation just went away. Yeah. I was like, how is, like, if the FBI knocks on my door, I'd be like, yeah, I don't feel like talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't so really there, understand how that works. There is a uh, – I, I, I don't want to say this is gospel, but mm-hmm. – there's a rumor um, that I had heard. I mean, we, we all thought Zion was going to Clemson. I thought that was a foregone conclusion. Um, you know, from Spartanburg, right outside of Clemson. I mean, that was that was where he was headed. And 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 there was a rumor that very very soon before Zion actually made his announcement, Coach K missed a game with a back injury, and they had a late game that night. There's a rumor that. <laughs> You know, a guy's cousin who's friends with whoever, you know, my uncle's cousin's, you know, sister's brother uh, is friends with a janitor at Spartanburg High School. And Coach K was actually spotted at Spartanburg talking to Zion like the night he missed that game with back pain. Now, whether or not that's true or complete blasphemy, some kind of fabrication of somebody that hates Duke, I don't know. But I always thought that was interesting. I, I always thought it, that it really correlated with with what we saw kind of unfold right before us, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Clemson. Everybody knows I'm going to Clemson, the best recruiting analysts in the nation that have sources, most likely within this guy's entourage, they're contacting your friends, your family, your cousins, your, your priest, everybody that may know something about what's going on with you and your recruitment. Yeah. That's what they're basing their, their predictions and their, you know, their, their stories on. And then all of a sudden all these guys are wrong and I'm going to Duke along with the other, with two of the best three, you know, recruits in the nation. It's just, it's so obvious and they just, nobody cares. I'm going to see if I can dig it up, you know, after this conversation, but I remember uh, one of my friends sent me a graph of uh, there has only been like five instances that all of the, all of the guys that do the projections for recruiting, Mm -hmm. all of them them were wrong. And like, out of like the seven or whatever it was, it was like five of them were California yeah. guys and two of them were Duke guys. Yeah. It was, so uh, they did the same thing with Kevin Knox, Kevin, everybody had Kevin Knox going to Duke and he ends up going to Kentucky and it was just some big thing. Um, I mean, you, you, all you got to do, well, when he, when he used to do it was watch Evan Daniels. If Evan Daniels makes a prediction, it's <laughs> because he's usually the rumor is he's already written the story. Yeah. So, I mean, because there's a, if you watch a big time commitment, Evan Daniels has a story out like 15 seconds after the announcement's made. When Evan Daniels makes a pick, Evan Daniels typically knows. So, when he gets it wrong, something shady is going on. Something happened. All right. So, um, let's talk about what you were right or wrong about during the preseason. Um, (laughs) How much time do we have? I'm going to give you a little bit of shit about <laughs> talking about your own team, Georgia Tech. You didn't talk about the guy that ended up being the ACC player that you're Moses Wright. Man, <laughs> you know, that's, that's again, how much time we have. Moses Wright is my biggest incorrect evaluation of any player since, since I started doing this. Um, he was, he was the most frustrating kid for me to watch play. Like I didn't want that kid to see the floor at all. 
as a freshman and sophomore. And it didn't really have a whole lot to do with him as much as it did. They were playing him on the perimeter. And Moses can't shoot, can't shoot a lick. Every time that he stands outside the three-point line, I'm standing in my living room on my coffee table screaming no at the, t- at the TV because I can see him thinking about it. And, <laughs> and, you know, as a junior, you know, of course, they've, they've had bigs at Georgia Tech as long as Revenue has been there. Daniel Miller, um, Ben Lammers, you know, all these guys he's developed and, and made into those type of players. So Moses really couldn't get time at the five where he belongs or the big four, whatever you want to call it. He's playing at the three because Georgia Tech never had a shooter. So he might as well put this really athletic kid out there and see what he can do. And it just, it just never worked out for him. But, you know, last year as a junior, you could really see it start to click when he was able to do some work inside the paint. Um, yeah, I, I, I will fully admit that I've been wrong on Moses Wright. He's, he's turned into one of my favorite players to watch now. Um, what I was correct about this year, though, was I predicted Georgia Tech to finish fourth in the ACC. That's exactly where they, where they ended up. Um, my biggest uh, swing and a miss this year was Baylor. Um, I thought that, you know, Freddie Gillespie graduating and moving on would impact their defense uh, a great deal more than it did. And I mean, they came back and we're just going to plug in whoever we got a warm body at the five and we're still going to be elite defensively. And I, I, I wasn't, I said it on the podcast. I said it on anybody's podcast who had me on that I didn't think Baylor was a top five team. And it took about, I don't know, two weeks of watching them play to start the season. And I was really just really starting to love me some crow because it just tasted so nice. But um, yeah, I was way wrong on Baylor for sure this year. I wouldn't say that I was really strong on Virginia Tech uh, mm-hmm. for the season, but I think I watched them open uh, the year. Weren't they in a tournament? I think they were in, were they in the Maui Invitational? I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, they didn't beat Villanova in the first game of the season, but it was one of the first three games of the yeah. season, I believe. I remember, I remember watching Jalen Cohn play. I like Kevin Aluma. Um, really liked. I, I love the offensive stuff that that he runs out there. Um, I I thought that they were going to be better than what they were picked. Um, I also thought that. Yeah, I had those guys at eleven as well. <laughs> really? Okay. So I thought. Um, I thought Syracuse was going to be a little bit better. Um, I mean, I will forever be the 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 king of the Kadari Richmond uh, hype train. Nice. I hope that I, I really think that in this tournament, if he just gives him 30 minutes, there's going to be like an NCAA darling moment for, for Kadari. Yeah. I think they're going to beat San Diego State. I picked that in almost every bracket. So Thank you. Yeah, me too. So um, let's talk about uh, an ACC uh, player that's poised for a breakout year. Uh, next year that you know maybe on the brink of you know being an NBA draft pick but isn't you know known right now so to speak Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna dive a little bit deep and and you know given the the little bit of an exodus that we've seen from the program lately I'm hoping he's still gonna be there but I'm gonna say Harlan Beverly of Miami Mm. Um, this is a guy with great I mean he comes from a factory at Montverde you know he was a he was a sneaky dark horse type uh, kid that you know some of us thought maybe a one and done last year but he's got good size he's got good handles you know you look at the games where he got some minutes this year he really filled up the stat sheet the only thing he can't really or hasn't really done so far is, is shown that ability to consistently knock down the deep shot and you know he can handle the ball he's, he's played some point this year he rebounds you know he gets some helpers I think that the um, I think the talent is there I just he just needs to put it together from deep and, and kind of become that threat. And you know, with Caputo there, Caputo's the guy that really 
you know, has developed, you know, a lot of kids at Miami and put some kids in the NBA recently. And you saw what Isaiah Wong turned into this year. I think Harlan Beverly is the next kid to take that step. And, you know, he's got more of an NBA body than Wong does. Wong is a little bit long, lanky and skinny. He'd probably get pushed around a little bit. But but Beverly's got an NBA body. He just needs to be able to shoot the ball a little bit. I'm going to say Anthony Polite. Um, I think offensively he took a little bit of a step forward. Um, I think he can be your your – three and D uh, type of player for the NBA. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a lotto pick, but I think he can get drafted in the second round. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that sticks. I mean, his movement skills laterally um, and he's pretty strong uh, when it comes to guards uh, doing kind of the Michael Jordan thing where he nudges their hips to go one mm-hmm. direction or the other and, and doesn't get called. Um, and, you know, obviously Leonard Hamilton is great at developing, you know, great defensive talent down there. Um, I just like him a lot. Um, so that's that's kind of my answer for that one. So um, we'll go next to an ACC player who will, you know, eventually catch on as an effective G League and eventually NBA player that, you know, may not get drafted. You know, I think it's Beverly again, but I think, you know, I, I don't really want to say David Johnson at Louisville. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. He doesn't seem to get – um, the recognition, I guess, yeah. from from like NBA scouts that maybe that maybe we thought that he would get if he had a breakout year. And that could be because Carl Jones stole a little bit of his thunder this year and yeah. nobody really realizes what kind of season David Johnson had. But um, one of the biggest question marks I had about Johnson coming into the season was his ability to shoot the long ball, just like I do with Beverly going into next year. And I'm not looking at his, at his numbers right now, but I want to say he shot around 38% from deep. Yeah. Um, he's got great size at 6'5". And I think with with Jones graduating and moving on, maybe we see David Jones kind of garner a little bit of notoriety um, next year going into the draft. But uh, for right now, I don't know if he's going to leave early either. Uh, you know, that's he got so much hype in the preseason. I mean, I caught so much grief because I I think I ranked Isaiah Wong ahead of him on my returning players in the ACC list in the preseason, and people were not happy about that at all. And um, you know, I feel a little bit vindicated on that. But at the same time, Johnson had a very nice year. Uh, if he jumps early, I'll be interested to see where he gets drafted, similar like we talked about with Kyle Guy. But if he stays, I think he has a chance to crawl into that first round. Um, if he does get drafted, I think he'll he'll probably have to take the G League route and, and kind of develop a little bit more and, and kind of kind of build up his maybe his strength, you know, and 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 kind of grow into an NBA player. Whereas next year he could probably dominate the ACC and get drafted and and go right into the NBA. So mine is actually a player who um, I did not like him on out of high school. Um, He was, uh, I think it was a four-star kid, uh, Balsa Kopravica from Montclair Academy. He was Uh, once a top five kid in that class before he tumbled down the list a little bit. Yep. I mean, he had 17 points and 11 rebounds against UNC uh, with four blocks um, in, the, in the ACC. I think, no, that wasn't the ACC tournament. It was right before that. But um, I really like his game. Um, I think he's a really solid center who can rebound the ball. He can block shots. Um, I think his, his touch in the paint is pretty underrated. Yep. Um, big, big fan of his. Um, let's talk real quick. I maybe just I don't know if you are able to forecast it but uh, very biased on this one Earl Timberlake Jr. Uh, announced mm-hmm. that he's going to transfer uh, away from Miami um, where where would you go if you were him and kind of what what do you see in his game so it, it's it's very interesting what do I see in his game I see 
uh, supreme athleticism for an undersized forward. So that, that kind of um, what teams kind of utilize uh, hybrid forwards, um, yeah. undersized, undersized fours, maybe big threes, however you want to put it. The other thing is, I know that Jeff Capel wanted him bad, real bad at Pitt. Um, I mean, that, he was their number one guy on their board, so to speak. I, I don't know, you know, given what's transpired at Pitt over the last couple of weeks with seemingly everybody transferring out, you know, uh, Drum Gould, um, you know, Audis Tony, Xavier Johnson, Terrell Brown entered the transfer portal today. There's something maybe going on with that program. So I'm not sure that that's, that's really appealing to Timberlake right now. Xavier Johnson too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I honestly, I, I never get it right when I try to project where these guys are transformed to. And I don't know, I don't really even know where Timberlake hails from. So I don't know where his, where his, where his hometown is. DC. DC. Really? Yeah. He was yeah. I mean, right now you got to look at Maryland. Right. I mean, <laughs> that, that makes sense. Um, and you know, when I think, you know, that area, VCU, maybe come to mind um, down in Richmond. So, you know, if that's, if it's a, if it's a geographical thing for him, I mean, he's got two great options right there. Um, you know, Providence, maybe, you know, Ed Cooley is sneaky um, uh, charismatic, like very, yeah. you know, players buy into him and what he's selling, you know, very often. So that wouldn't shock me either. Um so yeah, I mean that would be those would be three regionally significant schools. But I do know for for absolutely positive that that Jeff Capel wanted Timberlake very very badly. I know Maryland fans are getting really excited because he said in his statement that uh, he's looking to be a little bit closer to home. But I mean, Did he? okay, he's in Miami. So I mean, there's there's <laughs> doesn't exactly there's a lot between the two for sure. Yeah, um, I think. You know, I don't know anything about his situation. Um, I, I don't want to speculate on where he's going to go, but I can I can tell you for sure that uh, loyalty is big with him. Um, his final four, I think, was Seton Hall, Providence, Miami, and South Carolina. Oh, really? Okay. Um, those were all schools that offered him pretty early in the process. Uh, definitely targeted him um, pretty heavily. Uh, and uh, the other the other thing is, he's a dude that wants to write his own story. He's not, you know, he's not trying to be a front runner at a place like UNC or Duke that's already had, you know, a million guys through. Um, not saying that he wants his name on banners, but he definitely wants his his time somewhere to be, uh, you know, memorable. Um, I that's what we always ask of these kids, right? We, yeah. You know, you know, every time one of the top five, top ten kids commits to Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, we're all like, yeah, the rich get richer. Why don't these guys blaze their own path? Um, and then they do. And sometimes it, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But it's what's interesting you said right there is I didn't know about South Carolina and a kid like him with his skill set is South Carolina is, I want to say, one of the top two or three teams in tempo in college basketball this season. And if an up and down game doesn't fit his game, then I don't know what does, because, I mean, you get that kid in the open court, he's going to be on Sports Center every night. And, you know, Frank Martin's kids run through walls for him. So, you know, if he's able to sell that, you know, the Gamecocks might be back in business. Yeah, um, I believe it was, I think it's Bruce. I think it's Bruce Shingler. There was a, you have an assistant coach that's from the area. It okay. might have been him, but uh, that that has a lot of area ties that that was involved with him pretty early. But, I mean, I think that he's a he's a huge sleeper. Um, the kid, just to tell a story about him real quick, and then we'll move on. 
uh, Coach Jones at the Matha, um, you know, we were running preseason workouts, you know, during the summer, uh, just before our kids camp gets going. And I hadn't seen Earl for a while. And I know, you know, he has a reputation of being, being uh, quite the workhorse. And I was like, you know, coach, I haven't seen him. And he's, he's like, just let me stop you right there. He's like, there may be four or five times this entire summer that he's not doing two a days. Just trust me. He, he's fine. Don't worry about him. And, uh, you know, he just loves the game is just always in the gym. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't speak with him about it, but I know that it was killing him to not be on the floor. I bet. Uh, he had the ankle injury and that really hampered him like the whole season. You could just tell he wasn't able to be explosive, get the rebounds. Um, I think he's a, a player that excels at both ends of the floor and people don't understand how good of a passer he is. He's a yeah. really, really good passer. Um, so I think once he gets his ball handling stuff uh, to the level it needs to be, I think he can be, you know, a, a two guard that can run your offense. And uh, I mean, he's just, he is just an animal defensively. Um, yeah, for sure. You know him and him and uh, Trevor Keels uh, going at it. Uh, then he he'd switch on to Roach and you know shut Rose uh, Jeremy Roach down for a couple of possessions. Um, you know those two players are very different. You know mm-hmm. Trevor Keels is you know six four six five, Roach is about six one. Very different uh, games. So um, real quick too, I I like comparing Jeremy Roach to Kyrie Irving. I see a lot of the the shiftiness, the the changing gears getting into the paint. I don't think he's as good of a finisher as he is, but you know, some of the, you know, yeah, you're I, talking I, about one of the best finishers, maybe in NBA yeah. history when you're talking about Kyrie. Yeah. So. I think uh, just his ability to get into the paint and finish around guys. I mean, there was some times where, you know, he came in and, you know, flew past Earl and he just somehow finished between Earl and, you know, Hunter was on the block for us. Um, so yeah, it, it was very entertaining watching him play, but all right, let's, so what, what have you, I just want to ask you real quick. I didn't realize that you had, you had been part of, you know, Jeremy Roach's coaching, but mm-hmm. what did you see? Like when I watched his high school film, I, I may have put him in that same kind of basket, yeah. but when he's at Duke, he, he was kind of a spot up guy for a while. Like, uh, like I didn't really know what was going on, but I, I expected him to be, um, more of a Caleb Love type point guard as a freshman, as far as having the ball in his hands and, and kind of you know initiating the offense. Did, you know, does is that not his game, or you know, was I just completely off base, or what happened? There? Personally, I didn't like Duke going into the year mm-hmm. because I looked at the roster and I said they have too many guys that do the same thing. Right. Like Jalen, Jalen Johnson and Jeremy Roach both need the ball in their hand to be successful. They're both yep. slashers. They're both non-shooters. You know, different different size, obviously, but. You know, they had some wings that were redundant um, and they just I, I don't know why they, they don't use Matthew Hurt more often. I, I looked at I think you tweeted something about, um, you know, averaging 18 points a game while, you know, only averaging like 12, 13 or less shots. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it's like, I mean, if you just feed that kid, you know, a couple more shots, he's averaging 25 a game and, yep. and the narrative is totally different. Um, I think Jalen Johnson he's a player that needs like I said needs to have the ball in his hands and as a non-shooter it it narrows you know some of the outcomes um in, in the paint it's kind of similar to he was kind of a smaller Ben Simmons to me except he doesn't care about the other end of the floor is <laughs> uh, part of the issue so um yeah I, I just kind of saw that as you know just having a stud you know that that does kind of the same thing and I mean if you're using him off the ball, you know, as a spot-up guy, I think, yeah, but also if you put him on the wing, uh, him catching on the wing and attacking a closeout is is a good situation. I mean, yeah. 
he's really good at reading angles and reading, you know, defenders' hips and stuff. So, uh, yeah, he played for our rival, uh, Paul the Six. So hmm. he, we, we definitely were happy to see him graduate for sure. <laughs> so, so uh, let's talk about um, the, uh, you know, the most disappointing player, the most su- surprising player, and then we'll do the same question for, you know, a team. So this may be on me um, more than the actual kid because, I, you know, I it's difficult to for me to evaluate because I'm not on the circuit. You know what I mean? I get the day job, which, I, you know, I'm not going to Peach Jam every year and seeing these kids in person. You know, I'm watching YouTube where they make 100% of their shots. So, <clears throat> but. I pay $70 for the streams. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, you know, I expected I expected Caleb Love to come in here and be a first team All ACC type performer. Mm-hmm. I just thought that, that hit that point guard in that system with the secondary break. I thought he was going to rack up assists, and the way that he gets downhill, gets in the lane, and his athleticism to get to the rim, I, I thought was going to translate very well. I thought that he was a you know he was a fourteen and five kid. You know what I mean? Somewhere in there, he'd probably throw in a steal and a half a game. Um, I, I didn't realize that he he struggled from deep or didn't think he was going to as much as he had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, love every time I kind of give in and think that maybe he's not that good. He has a game where I'm like, Oh, okay. Maybe he is pretty damn good again. We played Duke um, 20 times a year. We'd be fine. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and um, I think it's there. Um, what I hope doesn't happen is that he decides to jump and, you know, gets lost in limbo with, you know, there's like 15 different ways for kids to make the NBA right now. I couldn't even tell you how many, what, what the different contracts mean or what they are or, or how they allow you to go, you know, from one league to the other. But I'd love to see him in Chapel Hill again next year because I do think he has that, that, that upside, that ceiling to be a really effective first team all ACC player. But as far as this season goes, he, he didn't live up to the expectations, but my expectations may have been a little bit too high to begin with. So. In his defense, I don't think it was as bad as what Cole was dealing with last year as far as, you know, driving lanes and a lack of shooters. But, I mean, we did only have one shooter. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, Leaky Black on one wing and (laughs) Garrison Brooks is the other big. And then, you know, a seven-footer that is definitely not a shooting threat, you know, clogged paint. Um, I don't think being a distributor is a huge part of his game. Um, I think I expected him to finish a little bit better at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I expected him to shoot better, you know, especially from the free throw line. I'll have to look it up, but I remember I, I he, looked- he is now. Um, I think I, I looked that up today over his last nine games. He's shooting about 90% from the line. So it, and it, I don't know if it's been um, as far as him from the line this year. I'm not sure that it's his percentage. That's bad. It's his timeliness. That's been bad. Yes. Like when you need him to hit a free throw, that's when he's going to miss the free throw. That's kind of what I've kind of gathered throughout the season. So uh, let's, let's go with the positive end of that. You know, who's mm-hmm. a, a team or a player that, you know, surprised you the most in a positive way. I think the team, I think the player is on the team and that's, <laughs> that's, that's Kevin Aluma at Virginia tech. I mean, you're talking about a kid that averaged like five points a game in however many minutes it was 14, 1400 minutes. I looked it up the other day, 1400 minutes at Walford, this guy averaged five points or whatever, whatever it was. Now he steps into the ACC, you know, second game of the season, he dominates Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who is one of the best big men in the entire nation. And, you know, he rides that throughout the season to a second team, all ACC um, selection. 
I mean, he's been a revelation. I, you know, like Mo, I don't know if you saw the video that Virginia Tech put out yesterday, um, where basically it called out every media outlet that that doubted them. And, and a lot I mean, of- I mean it, yeah, put out everybody, CBS, the athletic, everybody. And, and it just said at the end, thanks for doubting us. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm glad they didn't read any of my stuff because I picked them 11th. I thought that these guys were toast. They didn't have anybody in the front court. And, um, you know, Justin Mutz has been fantastic, a transfer from Delaware. And, I mean, I was talking about it last night on my podcast. You know, those two guys, and now this team, this, this, this is a three seed in the ACC tournament, and they get a 10 in the NCAA tournament. They're playing against Florida, who – I don't know why they deserve a seven over any of the teams that we've talked about tonight, but this is a dangerous team as a 10 seed and not only to Florida, but to Ohio state. And if those guys are right and Aluma stays out of foul trouble, the Hokies are going to be a big deal in the tournament. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, big, big fan of that team. Um, who's a, a player or a team that you just, you're just kind of like, ah, I, I love watching this guy play. So for me, it is, you know, if you follow me, you know, this, well, the 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 runner up award goes to Kadari Richmond. I feel bad. You know, I'm I'm Jim Beheim right now. He's the runner up. He's not the <laughs> he doesn't actually get the playing time. Uh I love watching Andre Cabrello play basketball. Okay. Yeah. I really uh think that the ball moves really well. He's just a pick and roll dynamo. Um his his shot is coming along. He nailed a big shot in the Big Ten championship a couple couple days ago. Um I think NBA teams uh, should definitely be excited about uh, what he can do. As for, uh, Some of his passes I saw, I think it was against when they played Baylor. Um, he drove baseline, and it was like he drew two guys, and he was underneath the basket. He whipped a pass behind his head that went to the opposite three-point line. The guy split. You know what I'm playing? I'm talking, I, was, I was watching that. I was like, how did that pass get there? Um, I just think his creativity with the ball – um, he just gets, you know, and obviously having Kofi down low definitely helps. Uh, he was a monster of a human. Yeah, like, uh, absolutely. Um, he's my favorite player to watch. So uh, what, what's one for you? I, I don't know if he's my favorite player to watch, but I am probably, you know, after the all ACC teams were announced last week, I'm probably driving his, his fan club train right now. And that's Alan Griffin at Syracuse. Mm. Um, he's a transfer from Illinois. This guy literally does everything everything on the court you could ever want a player to be. He shoots it well from deep. And uh, again, he didn't make any of the three teams he made honorable mention. I think that's an absolute travesty, um, especially when Prentice Hub is on the third team. I mean, give me a break. But (laughs) Alan Griffin is the only player in the nation to score 350 points, grab 150 rebounds, 40 steals. uh, I'm sorry, 40 assists, um, 30 steals, and I think 40 blocks. I mean, he's the only player in the country, and he can't make an all-ACC team over Prentice Hub, who's a walking turnover, or just another bad shot away from Notre Dame being down by 15. So I, I just – I don't know. I just don't know how that happens, and I, I think it may be a little bit of uh, a little bit of anger on my part that's driving me to drive that train because I'm not a Syracuse fan. I'm certainly not a Bayheim fan, but that kid can play some basketball. I mean, he's come up with some crazy blocks this year. I mean, he can shoot it from anywhere inside half court. He's, he's just fantastic in all aspects of the game, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
as far as the team goes, I mean, he's also real quick. He's averaging six and a half rebounds and two blocks a game. Yeah. As a six six foot five, you know, two or three. I I did not expect that when he transferred from Illinois, I knew him a little bit as a shooter and I thought that those guys would be able to, to really, you know, bomb away from outside, but he's, he's a superb athlete and he does it all. He's, He's a fantastic player to watch play. Um, What's a what's a current coach uh, that has a shot at supplanting uh, one of the legends? I'm going to add a caveat because Tony <laughs> Bennett is the obvious. Answer. <laughs> well, let's see. All right, let me uh, let me pull up something here. Um, you know, I I would love to say Leonard Hamilton, but he's a little bit long in the tooth right now. Yeah. Um, I I love 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 what what Nate Oates is doing in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's Rushmore material. I mean, yeah. I guess when we're talking Rushmore, we're talking what? We're talking K, Knight, Wooden, yeah. um, Williams, maybe Huggins, Yeah, I guess. Um, do I think that Oates gets there? I mean, that's a high bar, right? You can be you can be great and still not be there. So, you know, Bennett is the obvious answer, I think. Um, I think Hamilton – we talked about this just the other night as well. Hamilton is hitting his stride – in his late sixties, early seventies. <laughs> and I, I mean, he's made that program what it is. That program was nothing before he got there. And now he's one of the most well-respected. Co- I remember when people thought that he was over it. I remember people thought he should be fired because he wasn't doing a good enough job with the talent he had. And I mean, it just seems blasphemous now, but as far as young coaches up and coming, I like Musselman. Um, I wonder if, I just wonder about him. He, he's been in the NBA life as well. So I'm wondering if maybe he, he makes the jump eventually that I think that seems like a, a likely Avenue, but as far as a college basketball coach, I, I, you know, a young guy, I think Nate Oates is that guy. I think mine is Bill Self. Um, huh? yep. What he's been able to do at Kansas, uh, that the money chain definitely endeared him to me for sure. Um, all right. So uh, let's do one more uh, mm-hmm. for this and then we'll move on to the tournament. So who's your all time. I want to have a beer with this guy team. We're doing just ACC guys, or are we doing everybody? I want to stick with just ACC guys, but if that's a struggle, you can throw in. No, I mean, it's not a struggle at all. Um, uh, beer guys, I don't even know if, he, if this guy drinks beer, but I, like I said early in the show, I, I've interviewed Dino Gaudio twice um, for ACC Basketball Report, and he is just hes just an awesome guy. He's just a nice guy, a guy you want to sit down and talk to, like a guy you want to introduce your parents to and, and, and let them know that you're friends with this guy. And like, he, he's a family guy. He's just, he's just a hell of a nice guy that I think you'd want to sit around and talk to. Um, another guy from the ACC, Mike Bray. I think Mike Bray's a cool guy. I was about guy. to say him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, he's getting a lot of grief this year um, for, for their performance the last couple of years. I think most of it's unwarranted. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to sit down with Bray. And after talking, <clears throat> after talking to Tom Noy, who is a beat writer for South Bend um, paper up there that covers Notre Dame basketball, nothing led me to believe anything else other than basically solidify my stance that Mike Bray is a great guy. So after um, seeing some of the tweets, I kind of think that Chris Mack has to be in that conversation. Just yeah, for sure. He's, he's fun as well. And you know, him and him and Gaudio are are pretty tight. Gaudio was actually telling me that they, they make a habit of like closing practice out playing one-on-one and Chris Mack beats his ass every time, but that's, (laughs) that's what they do. They, you know, that's how they kind of close out practice. Um, As far as a player goes, you know, I got to stay legal, I guess, but, um, you know, one guy, you know, he's a legend for my school, Kenny Anderson. 
Yeah. I mean, New York legend, New York playground legend. He's getting into coaching now. Um, obviously a great college career, um, a, a really good NBA career, um, maybe cut down a little bit by injuries, unfortunately. But um, I mean, he's, he's a fun guy. I always see him on Instagram or not Instagram and, and Twitter, you know, smoking cigars and hanging out and having a good time. I think, I think uh, Kenny would be a fun guy to hang out with for sure. So I'm going to, I'll run through this real quick. Two of them are not ACC guys. So Jawan Howard, Mm-hmm. Jalen Rose. Um, just, oh, nice. yeah, just, for, just for those stories, but also for Jawan, you know, coaching LeBron and, and D Wade and Bosch, there's got to be some great behind the scenes stories. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Luke, In Miami, by the way. <laughs> Luke Herringoti's at the top of the list for me. <laughs> nice. uh, you know, loved watching him play. Um, Tyler Hansbrough is my favorite player of all time. Um, so I definitely got to go with, with, with Psycho T there. I'm sure he's got some great, great stories. I would love to hear him talk about what he wanted to do when Gerald Henderson put his elbow in his face. You know what? Like, I, I have Duke fans that still argue that that was unintentional. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know how many times you try to block shots with your elbow, but it's not, not a very effective way to go. 